This, along with every episode of According to Flint, brought to you by Pendleton Whiskey. For more than a century, the Pendleton Roundup has defined what it means to be a cowboy. It also gave life to something equally renowned, a whiskey that captures that unique spirit in every bottle. A whiskey made with the finest northern grains and cut with Mount Hood glacier water. A whiskey that celebrates the cowboy in all of us. That is Pendleton Whiskey, and that's true Western tradition. Pendleton Distillers, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Please drink responsibly. Since 1973, the art of engraving brings to life the artistry that Montana silversmiths is known for and is fueled by a passion for the Western lifestyle. Montana silversmiths' buckles and jewelry are more than accessories. They are stories, stories of moments and memories shared through the giving, receiving, and earning of Montana silversmiths' buckles and jewelry. Celebrate what matters with Montana Silversmiths. Well, welcome to episode number 76 of According to Flint. As I welcome the 2001 Rookie of the Year and World Finals Champion, Luke Snyder, Assistant General Manager, one of the coaches. I don't want to say you're the assistant coach of the Missouri Thunder because that would tell us you are below Ross Coleman, and I won't have that. I will not have it here. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what, Ross? It's hard to uh, to match that that enthusiasm Ross has, but uh, no, he's great. He's uh, he's one of the best motivators in sports. So you can call me whatever you want there, but we uh, we share the duties as best we can. Is is Ross one of the best motivators in sports, or mo- one of the most entertaining guys to watch? in sports oh gosh he'll get into it it's it's uh you know it, it's something that uh, is really special to to watch that's for sure um when i interviewed him you guys got shut out of a game and the next night i interviewed him on the back of the shoots i always pick one of you depending where you are and i always warn you hey we're going to talk before the first guy <laughs> i said you guys started out You've been on a roll. You got shut out last night. That's been addressed. And he just stared right through me. I hate to lose. I hate losing. We're not going to lose. Oh, like, yeah. Dude, I didn't do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's he, intense. He, he still got that passion. You know, you, you were there when he was riding. I mean, it was everybody fed off that. And he was, uh, he was always that guy that was in your ear and, and you, you may be losing, but. You know, it was all you were only one bull away from a streak and, and getting right back on it with him. So, yeah, um, I should have mentioned, by the way, uh, recently a dad again. Right. Yeah, I did it again. I did it again. So uh, <laughs> he's about seven weeks old today. Uh, Ranger. We named him. Uh, but yeah, uh, pretty exciting. It's fun to be a dad again, an old dad. Uh, you know, I'm 40 years old now, but uh, it's uh, keeping me young. Yeah, because you have a daughter, correct? Yeah, she. I got a nine-year-old daughter uh, named Ollie, so she's uh, she's got to be a built-in babysitter, hopefully. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She'll be right there. She like she like little brother Ranger, does she? Yeah, she did. She uh, she was pretty upset when she first found out it wasn't going to be a sister, but uh, she got over it, and she's been a big <laughs> help now. <laughs> um, you know, and I said this. 
my it's funny because my last episode 75 and i apologize that he he took the 75th episode but the episode before this i think brendan clark was our previous episode the one and only brendan clark you did you guys retire the same year were you on the stage together when they farewelled you was that you two you know what i should i should remember that i think it was just uh it was just me because shivers retired one year before me and then i retired the next year uh yeah you're right brendan and i did it was same exact same exact year yeah Yeah, they they threw a retirement party for us at the uh that jonathan fine's place uh the night after the final so yeah our our last year was together my my life my brain kind of works in pictures and visuals and i remember being on the back side of that center shark cage and they you were both up on top of it. i just remember seeing you guys together i remember brendan was very emotional but you know you both i just remember you guys acknowledging the crowd pretty good pair and i i said to him on his episode when i start looking back at the things he did and the things you did the re- our references seem to become more recent. I forget how good and consistent you guys were. Like, oh, let's talk about him first, just since I brought it up. Yeah, that Brendan, that Brendan Clark, he was tough. He was really tough. I mean, I remember the first day I met him, he'd come over here from Australia, and uh, it was uh, up north at a bull riding, and uh, he had this hat on that looked like he just walked here in a torrential downpour, you know. <laughs> that's that's an australian thing that's an australian thing so it didn't take him long to get the lay of the land and he had a little better shape felt on the next weekend but uh yeah he uh he fit right in um you know he had some bull that either ross and i had rode before and we told him how many points we were on that bull and you know he uh i think he went out there and ended up sticking it on him but you know brendan and i became really fast friends and we roomed together the majority of our careers yeah, he, uh, it's funny that there's something about Australians. It's the culture or something. And they have, they all look like the man from snowy river yeah. or something. Their hats are droopy and dirty. And, uh, I, I always visualize Greg Potter. Remember Absolutely. Potts? Oh yeah. Roll yeah. your own cigarettes too. And he'd roll his own cigarettes in the right locker there. room. <laughs> But I loved it. I, I loved Australia. You know, a lot of people may not know this, but I went down there 13 times in my career and uh, and rode down there on an invite during the summertime. Um, and, I, you know, I loved the country. Like, it, it, it was beautiful. Yeah. It's a, I, I always say, and you look at them now, Australians and Canadians. Not, not that I'm, uh, you know, encouraging this. They still know how to fight. Have you noticed that? Like they're Canadians are hockey players and Australians. They, I think they box a lot, but they'll, they'll drop gloves. They'll go right away at drop of a hat. Oh, absolutely. And you know, Australia is one of those countries where everybody's, everybody's running or everybody's working out on the side of the road and everybody's boxing, you know, that's their national pastime is fighting, I think so. Uh, they're all really scrappy and they're all in good shape. You know, take Troy Dunn, for example, he's like the unofficial spokesman for rodeo in Australia. And uh, he's, uh, you wouldn't want to mess with that guy. No. And he, yeah, he's every time Troy Dunn comes up for one, a lot of people consider him in their top five or 10 bull riders of all time. You know, a lot of people do, 
but a lot of then the next topic is usually, man, remember when he beat up those guys playing pool and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> it goes hand in hand. Uh, you, um, in looking up, you know, before I talk to you guys, I'd look up to refresh my memory of things for number one, how many PBR world finals did you qualify for? Uh, I went to 13, all 13 years I rode. That seems, do you think guys were affecting, I mean, I, I, it's almost a rhetorical question. The length of guys careers with the animals they're getting on now. I mean, you got to, I've heard other people on here kind of say the same thing. I think, you know, we had those dragons back in our day, um, but Mm -hmm. you know, there's no comparison to what these guys are getting on in the current state. Um, They're the, the breeding program and the genetics are just on another level. So I think that it's hard to put a run of events together, let alone a a run of finals, you know, guys, guys are paying the dues and, and, seems like you know the harder the animal athlete the harder it is on the guy's body too yeah yeah they're the the, what i notice it and people will tell me no way the bulls were just as good and it's by no means a knock on you guys you guys were getting on great bulls the where a bit but i kind of went through them all you know i started 97 was my first world final so i've kind of seen the generations of guys and bulls the difference where you really can notice it is how guys land in my mind that's what i think they get i always say they get dick slammed so hard that's the that's where i see my gauge of the difference in what they're riding is how hard they hit sure no they you know a lot of these bulls i mean the peak of their kick is higher the the quickness of their spin is faster but uh I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, like you can take, you can easily take a ride from the late nineties and put it with the current best bull here. And there is going to be a night and day difference, but that's with any sport. It's always going to progress and you almost see it every, every 10 years or so, but that's not, I'm not saying you couldn't take a Jim Sharp or a guy from that era and put him in this era and they wouldn't be successful. You just adapt to, to the animals that you're around and, and the great, the greats adapt. I agree with you. That's a, I think that is a point through all of this. We've talked about this a lot with a lot of guests on here out, just guys sitting around. I don't know that anybody really has clarified that point. I see it in, you know, the NBA or the NFL. And they say that guy, you can't put him in the top 20 players of all time. He wasn't, he was only such and such big, but you put him here. They adapt a guy like Jim Sharp, the way he rode, he would fit all of these and adapt to that. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. He was going to be a great bull rider, no matter what era you put him in. And, and that's just one, a, a long list of guys that I could say the same thing about. Yeah. Cause they talk about Jim Sharp rodeo and I, I just was on another podcast. Um, Ted Stoven's podcast up in Canada, cowboy shit. Yeah. And, um, we were me and Clint Atkins and we were supposed to come with our 10 best bull riders of all time. Then he had this spreadsheet analytics and we kept saying Jim sharp. And he kept saying the numbers don't check out. The numbers don't put him in the top 10. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I told him you don't have every rodeo he ever went to where he rode 37 bulls in a row or rode 92% on the year. 
And sure. people say, well, what was he riding? That is still, that transfers over, you know, that right. he would adapt completely. All the bulls, all the bull stats lists and everything out there doesn't track back it, it, to that era, I'm sure. But did what was his list pretty much consumed by Canadians? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he had a Canadian in the all time. He talked but about it was Canadian more just time. like current guys. Like it was more um, current guys that he's basing it off of, I guess. Yeah, I'm trying to think of my top ten. Uh, it was, um, you know, top three for me were. Would I have? Um, and not in any order, but I'll give you, you know, three, three to five. I had Jim Sharp, of course, uh, Justin McBride to me, and I think it was because I was right at the middle of my career. And it was not only just McBride's writing ability, but I was affected be, by the kind of guy he was and a friend sure. to me. So, um, you know, and I had Chris, I think I had Chris Shivers in there. Um, funny how, how, how I trouble JB Mooney was in there, of course, you know, so it wasn't real modern and I don't know, do we, does, is the guy's resume, long enough to that you throw Jose Vitor Lemmy in the top 10 bull riders of all time. Can we do that yet? I think you got to, I mean, he hasn't even finished what he's going to accomplish obviously, but uh, I mean, even all the greats will tell you right now. I mean, he, I think he's established himself right up there in there. Um, I think he's paid his dues and he's proved, proved plenty so far to be categorized as one of the all times. Yeah. What about you? What, what, since this, I wasn't going to go this direction. Give me three right off the top of your head. When people ask you, cause I know you've probably been asked, give me three to five of those guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing that every, it, the most generic answer in the world, but he's a guy that you can stem everybody back to is Lane Frost. I mean, we all learned the story, Lane Frost, his, his career was cut short, but another guy that you could have took from that era in his prime put him in this era and he would have thrived too. So, I mean, you got to have that guy's name in the conversation any, anytime you're talking, um, mm. you know, tough, tough Hedeman and Cody Lambert yeah. will all tell you he was the greatest they've ever seen uh, in that era. So um, he's in there for me. Um, you know, he, he passed away when I was like six years old, but throughout my career early starting, I, I've watched every tape available and every ride yeah. that he's done. So, He'd be in there for me. And then a lot of the guys you named, uh, Adriano Marais, when he Have was to. on, he, he's, you know, incredible. The first three-time world champion and just the, yeah. the amount of bulls that he put together. Yeah. And uh, what people forget, and this is by no means a, a cut on Michael Gaffney, but Adriano doesn't break his leg in 1997. He's a four-time world champion. Yeah. Remember, G-Man, and everything had to go right for Gaffney with Adriano out it were anyway that's right and I'm glad you brought up G-Man because he's up there for me too and I I said it many times throughout my career in interviews G-Man was the guy that I used as a role model in and outside you know you know how good he is on TV how well he speaks when he's when he's not dropping the f-bombs too much but (laughs) (laughs) didn't he get in trouble with that with you or to this day to this day either TV or in arena. Hey, are we tape delayed? Or are we live today? Oh, we're Michael Gaffney live. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's happy. I brought that up, but he no, he shakes a, it. yeah, yeah. He was a guy that was just a great writer and a great 
person and still is to this day. So I, I use him as a role model to set some goals after. That guy's so smooth. Like now in the teams, you know, TV's a big part of what you guys as coaches on the teams, you know, it's kind of nice for guys like me now that I'm doing TV to go to you guys and say, Hey, I'm going to catch you before your first rider. There's no fighting it. Cause you guys kind of know going in TV's a big part of this. It, you know, that helps us, but all you got to do for, with Michael Gaffney is, Hey, what a day. Yeah. <laughs> and he'll, well, you know, Flint, uh, got such great ownership here. And got such great guy. It, the guy's so smooth, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Um, but yeah, for people who don't know, I brought it up on our episode with him. He thought he was taping a segment and he screwed up and he went, ah, or something. And they went, uh, you're live. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. happens to us all. Happens to all of us. Because people don't know this. Michael Gaffney, one of the nicest men we've ever met in our life. Man, he, your daughters like him. Your mom likes him. And when he walks away, he can swear like he's smooth as silk with the F-bomb in there. Like he's a pro. Sure. I, I'm sure he could do it right in front of your grandma and she'd just still think he's the sweetest guy in the world. <laughs> uh, well, I don't, my grandmas are dead, but thanks Luke. Yeah. I, you know, so, I know it's hey, me. Hey grandma. Sorry. <laughs> um, you, uh, when you, when I found out you were a coach for, for Mo the Missouri thunder, first of all, a tie-in, a big part of the Missouri, Missouri Thunder is Bass Pro Shops, correct? What is the role? Is that the the team owner, Johnny Morris? Does he own the team? Does Bass Pro Shops own the team? What's the structure there? Yeah, Johnny Morris is our owner. So you'll see we we fly Bass Pro at the top of the flagpole with our team because uh, that's our ownership. Um, you know, I, uh, I got tapped for the position because I was sponsored by Bass Pro when I was a professional bull rider. And then when I retired, um, I transitioned into the uh, corporate office and I kind of worked all angles, different corners of the company from uh, I was a, a brand specialist for our in-house camo to start. And then I ended up being a, uh, a marketing specialist. Um, I did some things with uh, boat sales and manufacturing. Um, then I led our off-road department and tracker off-road when we got into that. And then I got pulled back into marketing as a uh, uh, senior manager of partnerships for our core partnership. So that's what I was doing when all this was going on. I was handling Bass Pro's core sponsorships like Black Rifle and just, you know, keeping the relationships current and, and happy. And then Johnny bought this team. And that was the greatest call of, that was one of the greatest calls ever, because first of all, I got to get back into a sport that gave me so much and that I love so much. And, uh, and I got to do it with my best buddy because our obvious first choice was Ross, um, because to be the co-coach, um, and, uh, in my eyes, you know, he, he's the one who spends all this time with our guys in Henrietta. Um, I'm here in Springfield at base camp where the operation takes place and, and Ross is hands on deck 24 seven with those guys. And Randy Bernard, um, you know, we had to pull Randy in. Johnny said, Randy, I want you to steer the ship and uh, help us with some partners and and keep Luke and Ross in line. So, 
Randy Bernard, <clears throat> Randy Bernard's just a good influence. Anything Western sports, his mind just goes and it always goes. I mean, it's always going somewhere. I used to tell Randy when he was my boss, I said, man, Randy, you have a lot of ideas and he'd smile. I go, a lot of them are shitty, but you have a lot of them, <laughs> but he does that guy will throw spaghetti against the wall until he finds something just a good influence in there. Isn't he? Oh, absolutely. You know, there's nothing that I can't call him with. Um, and, and he has a solution and he has it pretty quickly too. Um, you know, he's, he's a great motivator. He knows all the ins and outs. He's just had his hands in so many things. Like you said, Western sports related. Um, he's just, he, he's really helped us stay on track and keep our eyes on, on the things that matter. And, um, he, he's, we're, we're, I'm honored to be able to, to have him with us. Yeah. Well, I'm a Bass Pro Shops fan. Uh, you know, I got it. I've, I've spent a lot of gift cards at <laughs> Bass Pro. Can't say yeah. I've spent a lot of money, but I've spent a lot of gift cards. Heck Remember, yeah. we, used, we used to do autograph signings. Absolutely. And then I would host Q&As. They'd set up an area, especially in Springfield, right there by the aquarium. And, and, uh, Hey, thanks, Flint, and give you. They're nothing better than that stack of Bass Pro gift cards. I mean, I know that was great. <laughs> we ought to fire that back up. I used to joke that, hey, what'd you get? I said I got a three hundred dollar Bass Pro gift card, so I can buy two Under Armour items. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love your story with Bass Pro. I mean, that's what we all hope for when we get transition out of the arena is to have an in where we feel, and I felt like you did it during your career. You were always good on TV, always good with fans that. And before I move on that, I hope young guys understand that whenever you have that good, those good PR skills that builds value for you moving on. And that's what it did for you. That's right. And it's who you surround yourself with really, because you and I both have known Randy 30 plus years. And I was, I was able to be around Randy before this team's format, being around guys like him, being around guys like Tom Teague. Um, mm-hmm. Even when we were young, little piss heads that were just, heads, yeah. <laughs> you know, act, we were still listening and we were still watching how those guys acted. And then as we got older and longer in our career, we, uh, you start seeing the, you start seeing the, end of the road and you're and you don't want to see the end of the road and then worry about what you're going to do you you want to set goals and you want to uh you know start working to those things i mean sooner the better really yeah um but yeah i just there's such a natural connection between you know and we have a partner here with some of the stuff we do, there's such a natural connection between the outdoorsman and the cowboy the outdoor world, Western sports world, natural overlap. They're the same people basically. That's right. Yeah. And that's why we saw the value in the teams. Um, and just with, with the whole COVID thing, just the amount of people that either first rediscovered their love for the outdoors or people found it for the very first time. And I think a lot of that happened with us in the PBR as well, because we were the first sport back, obviously. And, and uh, we were, we were grabbing some attention because during that time, people were just wanting to learn about new stuff. I mean, take Tiger King, for instance. I mean, where else would that show? It took off like it did, you know? So 
and then you're you're getting the uh you're getting the yellowstone takeoff uh everybody wants to be a cowboy again it's cool to be a cowboy but um you know bass pro and the outdoors and, and pbr is we've even extended our relationship to be a official team sponsor and a, and a sponsor of the regular season oh nice too. so uh, that's a good oh great that's great yeah good so. to know we're just investing more into it because we see the value in it and we, and the, and the PBR fan is a loyal Bass Pro fan. Mm. Uh, yeah. I like Clint Atkins. He fishes in the fish tank in Bass Pro. That's right. Yeah. We, I actually got, <laughs> we got this little TV show we're doing on the uh, Cowboy channel called Cowboys of Thunder. And I got to take the boys to a store the other day and, and let them fish out of the tank. And they just, <laughs> That was one of the highlights of their life. They said they'd always, ever since they were little, looked at those things and wanted to do that. So, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, you see the kids, these challenges and stuff where they, these kids try to do it, either fish in it or jump in it. But uh, it's, it's kind of a no-no around here. So. Yeah. We, we used to torture Clint about that. Hey man, like you, you catch any fish in there? Were there any in there? I mean, they're right in the tank, but were there any in? The, oh, he just hate it. He just, yeah. but he did a good little workshop. He, he, that guy knew he knows bass fishing. That guy, he knows his stuff. Every time I see him at the event uh, beforehand, he comes up and it, he's got to talk something about fishing with me. So, <laughs> you know, uh, he, he, he rides one of our Ranger boats. He's got, he's a loyal Ranger boat fan and, and Bass Pro makes those boats. So, wait, look what you did. You named your kid Ranger. <laughs> wow totally totally unrelated but yeah i wasn't uh, using him for a marketing ploy <laughs> well yeah i'll go i'll go with that i got yeah. it um kind of back to my original point i started with when i heard you were going to be a coach to me it made complete sense because check me if i'm wrong the way i look at the last couple years of your career from the outside looking in at you and i mean this with all due respect a lot of us thought you were kind of done and you kind of took advice and changed how you were working out, what you were doing, got advice. And all of a sudden you come back in, you know, 2011, 2012 and are tough again. And that had to do with not necessarily having a coach, but really getting some coaching and saying, okay, what do I got to do different here to remain, to end my career kind of on top? Am I on track there? Absolutely. Yeah. I had to re I had to rededicate myself for sure. I mean, I was still making finals. I was maybe winning an event here and there, but nothing, nothing that could compare to those first handful of years. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to finish off my career like I started it solely from rededicating to the sport, getting in the gym, treating it like a professional sport. I came from the era where if you got hurt, you just rubbed some dirt on it or went and had a beer or both. And and then that was and then just go and do it again tomorrow. But um, to me and some guys can do that and, and get away with it. But to me, I had to I had to work at it to get back. And um, that's why I see the value in me being a coach, uh, me bringing some value from the business side of everything, because I've been there. I've been in every those guys' shoes. I know what it takes and I know what didn't work. And I can uh, I can instill in these guys to make sure that it works for them. And, and the same thing, you know, we we learned a lot. We knew all the stuff that worked and some of the stuff that didn't work. And between both of those, there's valuable information to share there.
Yeah. I don't know. I I've said through this, whether, whether you really appreciate and love the teams, uh, the teams thing or not to see Cowboys actually getting help from world champions and guys that were in their shoes, it took a whole different format and invention to have those, a lot of those guys do it. And with all of the money they can win, and I'm not talking just PBR, I mean, rodeo guys are making, the NFR pays 30 grand a round now. Uh-huh. It, it's funny that a lot of them, that it takes this for a lot of them to seek advice. That's kind of, it's like it falls back on that cowboy independence. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not like those basketball players. We don't get help. When with this much money and this much opportunity, it only makes sense. Sure. And I mean, it's always been there. Guys like Cody Lambert has always had an open door policy for anybody. And, and, and all these great legends and champions, it's always been there. Um, I just don't know if there was ever a road in these riders' mind that would allow them to just go right up there and ask. Um, so now with the team's format, I mean, these guys have first name, cell phone call, training during the week with these guys. And and you see a lot of it uh, really paying off dividends for a, a lot of guys. It, and some guys, uh, even in the UTV series, after they transition from teams, they, that connection doesn't end. You know, a lot of the fans, you know, like these coaches continue working with these guys on an annual basis, not just for the five months that we do teams. So it's a, yeah. it's an all in situation. I remember when Jess Lockwood, you know, he turned 18 and he headed out and moved to Cody Lambert's place and fans were j- just ripped them both. But, Oh, Lambert's little boy, he's favoring Jess Lockwood. Why'd he pick him? And like Lambert said, I invite them all. I'd yep. take them all. And he'd pick out guys and say, I told him to come stay with me all summer and he didn't. So what can I do? I've invited them all. And I don't think a lot of people realize that a lot of people don't realize what Cody Lambert is besides he's got this, he plays a a role. He plays a character in a movie that he's this old fart. That's grouchy to everybody. And boy, there's a big heart in there. That guy. Yeah. Oh, big heart. And uh, I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard any poems from him. I've never heard a single poem though, either. Yeah. That, uh, that whole, (laughs) that whole eight seconds thing, man, that Cody Lambert, he can write a poem as they're coming into Cheyenne and he stole Baxter Black's poem about bull ride. (laughs) Cowboy wasn't that's Baxter Black, man. Yeah. Uh, That Lambert, that's a poem stealing some bitch. (laughs) He is I, okay. Cody Lambert is not, he, he doesn't write poems, but he is poetic. In he is poetic. He yes. Does. He, uh, you know, he's, he is just such a, such a great guy. And, you know, he's always, he, he may have the image on the outside to some fans. It's kind of hard nose to the grindstone, but the guys that he gets under his wing, they know him and love him. And, and he, uh, he, his knowledge, even to us, I mean, we're, we're on rival teams, but anytime he's talking to me and Ross are listening. Yeah. He, uh, two weeks ago, <clears throat> their first bull of the night got out the gate. We, I mean, we hadn't bucked a bull. Remember and that bull yeah, ran around that. the ring and he was so mad or he was pretending to be mad, whatever you I don't know sometimes. 
and his assistant coach, Cade swore he was, he was chewing out somebody. And I said to Cade, he should be mad, but I think he's taking it out on the wrong guy. And Cade said, uh, hold on. He'll get them all. He'll get them all. Just give it a little bit. Yeah. But then he'll turn like, he'll be chewing somebody out or yelling and he'll kind of turn and wink. Like, I mean, it's uh, anyway. It, sure. Well, it, I think the world needs a little bit of that. If you screw up, you gotta, you can't just get a pat on the back all the time. So that's right. I agree. I agree. Um, Ridge, by the way, Ridgedale, uh, Missouri, which it's on the schedule as Ridgedale, Missouri. There's really, is there a town? Because we stay in Branson. We, I fly yeah. in, I fly into Springfield. I drive the hour or whatever it is to Branson. And then the 15 miles up in the freaking hills, that place, he has built quite the place up there, Johnny Morris. It is, you know, that's where Big Cedar Lodge is and, and Nature's Amphitheater is where we're going to host our home event. But, um, uh, it's really special. Uh, it's it's got a heck of a view over Table Rock Lake, and uh, you know we had an event there last year, and then Garth Brooks came and played there last year. Is what mm -hmm. uh, between those two really put us on the map. But um, yeah, I would just call Ridgedale for anybody that listens. It's just wondering where the heck it is. It's just a little suburb of Branson, um, basically Big Cedar, and and the Outdoor Academy sit in Ridgedale. It's not a very big little town. Yeah, one road in there. It, yeah, I couldn't believe pulling in there last year. Arena, just for you and I sake, this won't mean anything unless they were there. A little different setup this year. Remember last year, Garth was getting ready for his concert. So the stage was there, shoots on both ends. It was a mile back and forth. A little different setup this year, I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit more like Cheyenne. We're going to make it more intimate. The Bulls are going to we're going to move the stage closer to the to the uh amphitheater seating and then uh, the bulls are going to buck straight at the crowd instead of from left to right. Because if you remember, we had that side by side for you guys. I didn't he, use it. Not me. No, I ran. Well, I I ran. Was, that, there you go. I love it. <laughs> the stock contractors were definitely using it to get back and forth. But <laughs> um, it, it was a long ways because Gar stage is massive. So we just had to kind of build our operation around it. But this year it's going to be straight bull riding. Um, I think the fans are really going to love it because they're going to be right a lot closer to it. Well, I appreciate you uh, making the arena smaller and moving it closer to the fans now that I'm not in the arena. Appreciate that, Luke. That's great. <laughs> that was great. That was the one team's event last year that I was in the arena all three days. I remember I was doing TV a night and then, and that was the one, and it might have driven me to retirement. My knees might have been shot by the end of that. Oh, weekend. it was that was a long that was a long jog for sure, back and forth. Yeah. Um, you guys as a team made a little trip. You actually went to Brazil, didn't you? We did. Ross and I hopped a plane and we went down there. Um, this was uh we went to Adriana Marais's ranch and we just kind of worked with his son and we said, Hey, what are the odds that you can get about 15 to 20 of the best talent that Brazil has to offer and uh, get them all in one spot and let us come down there and do some interviews and watch them ride. And he said, let me make a few phone calls. And he called back in about three days and said, he gave us a, a two day window when all those guys were going to be close. And uh, some of these guys, jumped at the opportunity knowing that an actual PBR team was going to show interest and come down there. Guys drove 
10, 11 hours. Some of them did. And mm. uh, he gave us a couple days and we bought a plane ticket on the spot and flew down there and spent three days in Brazil and watched these guys get on about 25 head of bulls and, and had a translator and interviewed them all. And me and Ross, uh, we made a list on the way back home, uh, an ideal list of who we would want to see. And uh, fast forward to draft day with yeah. some of those guys that are on our team now came out of that trip. So it would be interesting to me. I always, I'm very interested in people's backgrounds. Even here, I ask people all the time, where are you from? Like waiters or where are you from? Cause I always want to try to relate their story. I Brazil, I can't imagine the difference, you know, even the guys we know, you know, Jose Vitor Leme had a good upbringing from all I, that I hear. I remember Marco Agucci was a, a skateboarder city kid, you know, but there was people, Robson Palermo, remember he lived in a dirt floor house with no shoes in the jungle. I, these guys, a lot of them come from, I mean, we don't know what it means to come from nothing compared to some right. of these guys in Brazil. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I look back on some of the old features that CBS or TNN and, and versus used to do where it would visit those guys' houses and dirt floors. They're growing up on dirt floor shacks and their only way out is with a bull rope. And then they follow that dream. I mean, it, it, it's just hard to fathom, you know, because they rode that dream all the way from Brazil over here. And a lot of those guys are, are made millions of bucks. And, you know, some of them stayed and some of them went home. But if you met, if you win a million bucks here in America, that's like three million in Brazil. So, I mean, they can set themselves up after a world championship to where them and their whole family are, are easy street, you know? So yeah. it's, I think you'll see a lot of different, a lot of motivation from those guys that you won't see, uh, you know, from, I'll say like some people in America that grow up with a silver spoon may not try as hard because you know they've had it easy the whole time there's a plan b they have a plan, a plan b, b. Yeah, yeah they'll just go go get a job somewhere shaping hats or whatever <laughs> <laughs> shaping that see look at random this hat shaper there you go yeah yeah what they, a, can figure, they can figure something out to do to make a buck yeah uh, what's adriano's place like in in uh, brazil it's i need to know. absolutely beautiful i mean it is beautiful we rode horses up on top of this peak and just looked over the whole i mean it's it's what you would expect the three-time world champions to uh to invest in after all that and and it's it's a really proud moment to sit on top of that hill uh too because you know the pbr gave me so much but to see what the pbr has done for some of these guys because adriano was a kid like that he, he was sleeping on sleeping six deep in a hotel or sleeping on Ty Murray's floor. Um, and, and the PBR gave him all that. So, I mean, it's just, it's a testament to any kid out there that, that wants to be a bull rider, what, what you can make and, and achieve doing it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've, Adriano, he was the original, you know, and, and it, it does. I remember, you know, Renato, Renato Nunez, who we, I don't know that we forget about it. There are world champs out there. You go, oh yeah, Renato. I remember when he was winning money and he won the world title and that was, he took it home and bought a ranch, yep. you know, in Brazil. We, we win a million here, you and I, we, I don't know that we could buy a ranch 
like Renato did Brazil. Yeah. That I think it's cool. It's uh, like you said, it gives them a lot, you know, from where they come from. Oh, it's big. I mean, we have some guys on our team that are are married or are newlyweds, um, and they're over here uh, providing for their. They're away from their family. Their family's you know thousands of miles away, and, and they're they're making the bare minimum that they need to survive on and and get by on day to day, and they're packing the rest home, taking care of theirs. And uh, you know, there's there's more motivation in that than anything else I can think of that they're riding for, for not just themselves, but to, uh, to provide. Yeah. Nah, it's cool. Um, and I, I thought it was cool. You guys went over there. I can't, I always, everything you do and you talk about, I, I picture doing it with Ross Coleman. Like I could just see Ross riding horses on Adriano's red. That's cowboy shit right there. Damn, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Where's Chase? Yeah. He checking out cows and, whipping and riding and it was it was just such a blast <laughs> he uh he uh, he is just what he's done for those guys too i gotta brag on him for a minute we when they came over here a lot of those guys settle in decatur ross was in henrietta it's about 45 minutes away i'd say give or take an hour and we found these guys a house and a nice three-bedroom two-bedroom house there's like four of them in there and those guys are at Ross and Amy Coleman's house daily, flipping tires, riding horses, just learning from Ross Coleman, one of the best cowboys we know, cowboy shit. So <laughs> they're, uh, they're, they're getting the first class education and, and everything cowboy from Ross. So he's, yeah. he's, he's with them daily. Yeah. I, Ross Coleman, he's just a cowboy. I, people forget when he came out of high school, three event rough stock guy. I actually, I remember when he said, I'm just going to the PBR. It kind of surprised me because he was good, such a good bareback rider and bronc rider that it kind of surprised me that I didn't know if bull riding was his best event at the time. That's how I felt. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. We were just talking about it yesterday that uh, I think Ross's first world first PBR finals with 99. And uh, he said that when him and his dad, Steve Coleman, were leaving that arena, he said, Ross, I, I think it'd be in your best interest to put all your eggs in this PBR basket because I think it's going somewhere. And he said he kind of just made up his mind right there that uh, he was going to be a PBR guy. Huh. Steve Coleman, <clears throat> through my career, has told me a lot of things. And everything, every time he talked to me, I listened to it. Because yeah. that's Steve Coleman, it, it, Ross's dad, that, that guy – he had a, he's had a lot of knowledge, whether it's ranch and cowboy and rodeo. I always listen to that guy. It's, oh yeah. It, it, such great memories there at the place in Malala, Oregon, you know, Mount hood sits in the background and, and back then in the day, he would do his branding during the week. We'd be in between two events. So he'd get 30 bull riders, 25, 30 bull riders out to the ranch put them all up and we'd brand, we'd get 850 head of cows and calves done in about three days. And about out of 30 of those guys, probably 12 of them could rope and, and really cowboy. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, but by the end of that week, Steve had those guys feeling like they were John Wayne though. He felt like he, he could just, steer them the right way and show them what to do. And if they couldn't rope very good, they'd work ground crew, but those were great, great memories. And Steve still is to this day. I mean, we'll call him on the road and he'll give us some, 
he'll kind of give us some insight of what he's seeing from an outside perspective watching TV too. So he's uh, a good guy. I I believe when my girls were little, they swam in that pool. As a matter of fact, at their yeah. place, um, I did not realize because I guess I, I I can't put together. I sometimes forget what who overlaps with bulls and guys. You got on Bushwhacker four times. Hmm. I didn't realize that. And notice yeah. I said, notice I said, you got on him four times. Him. You got on him four times. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the <clears throat> one time that I thought I may have had him, I think the longest I took him, you're probably stats show better. I think I wrote him four seconds one time. <laughs> so probably out of, out of three, three times, I, I maybe made eight. For fans' sake. Four times. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. For fans who are watching, you know, you know, the questions we get from fans are not necessarily things you and I talk about like okay. best bulls, best rider, you know, but for fans sake, what was, uh, I think Bushwhacker even compared to now or even better than now, that's one of the greatest bulls ever. He, uh, he was quick. He was unpredictable. He was strong. When you rode Bushwhacker, when you, got bucked off what was your thought of that bull analysis of him he was the greatest bull in my era and and what made him so great is he was the total package uh he'd roll in the chute and he would just stand there dead calm not move not lean on your leg not rear up not buck in there and you almost wanted him to do that to get your motor running a little bit more because you knew what he was about to do as soon as you nodded and for him to just roll in there and stand like a shot dog and just say, you know what I'm about to do. But uh, he had everything. He had the kick. He had the speed. Uh, you know, the direction changed with him. Like if he'd start one way, he could change leads and go back the other way on a dime. So he just, he was a total package. And, and you know, he didn't pull any punches. He was, Sometimes he would kind of have different trips, and I think he was smart in that aspect where if he thought guys were figuring him out one way, you know, if if, if they were warming him up, he'd, he'd try something else out. I mean, these these yeah. animals are smart. Uh, someone else told me the same thing, that it was – it would freak him out a little bit, that he'd stood right in the middle of the shoot, and they said it, it was – it was almost like, what are we doing here? Like, yeah. and he'd stand there and they looked down and he was looking at him. He was looking back like this, like, you ready? I, I don't <laughs> they said it, it was he, the freakiest thing ever. Yeah. He, he For something that you knew was going to just, what he was going to do to stand like that and not even twitch his ear. It was like just sitting in a dragster car that when the green light hits and then you just stomp <laughs> the pedal and just get slammed <laughs> in the back of your seat. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. You don't have a notch on your belt that you rode bushwhacker, but there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them out there. (laughs) I think it was, I think it was Corden McCoy told me that he really enhanced bushwhackers career by making him look so good. Like he, (laughs) he got his marks up there where they needed to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys, uh, before I let you go, the Missouri team, it's been, it's got to be frustrating for you guys. You you have a bunch of young guys. You brought young guys over from Brazil. It hasn't. No, we're only halfway through the season as we do this. But there's a frustration there. 
you haven't ridden a lot of bulls and bull riding and rodeo in general is one of those ones where you want to push your guys, but they can't press like in rodeo. If you start pushing and pressing, it defeats a purpose. It's hard to, I would think it's hard to navigate as your guys aren't riding what you're thinking the way they should. Oh, you know, we've had a lot of heartbreaking moments and it is very frustrating. It's frustrating for, for Ross and I, it's frustrating for the guys, you know, we, we have that camaraderie there. Like I, they, these guys, I get videos sent to me daily. I mean, I got one this morning that these guys, the amount of work they put in during the week is on another level. Nobody is ever going to accuse these guys of not working out and and putting in the effort but one muscle that's the hardest muscle to work out is the one between your ears and it these guys are young and and these lights are very bright and there is a factor to this sport that you have to get over some of that and, and let it become just another another event and, and get complete tunnel vision uh, so we just really drill into these guys you know it's there's that first effort, but the second and third effort is, is going to win. I mean, we're riding a lot of them right to the whistle, but they need to put on the afterburners and, and they'll get there. I mean, me and Ross are, like you said, we're halfway through the year and we're, we're fully confident if with this team we picked, there was a reason why we picked them and, uh, and they're going to figure it out. And there's a lot, there's a lot of games left. You know, we have five events left or something and, mm -hmm. and three games apiece per five games. So um, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of ground left to make up. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you doing this, but to have, uh, you know, when the team stuff came out and I kind of was navigating through how it all worked. Then I saw who the coaches were. Michael Gaffney, you know, Lambert, I saw anyway, but Michael Gaffney and, and Cody Lowstrong, Cord McCoy, and and you and Ross and G Man, and it was. I'm not necessarily. I get along with all the bull riders now, and in the last few years of my career, but I'm not friends with them because they're my kids' age. You know, when people ask, I always say, a generation ago, I was friends with Ross Coleman, Justin McBride, Luke Snyder, Brendan Clark. We were friends. We go yeah. have drinks together and it's changed. So when the teams came out and I saw who all the coaches were, my parts are, I get to be around some parts. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so it's been, that's been the, my favorite part of the whole thing is just being around you guys again. I, I feel exactly the same way. It, it's just been so great. Just reliving all the old stories and, and making new stories, making new chapters to the, to the friendship. So it's, uh, I think the teams is the greatest thing that's happened to Western sports. Uh, there is, I think it's, you haven't even seen the, the end of it. And like, you haven't even seen how big this is going to get and it's going to be the next big thing. So, uh, I, I just so proud of our guys and so proud of everybody that put, put it together and, and sure appreciate you having me on. You bet. It's always good to see you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. You bet.